listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. It's my privilege to share with you this morning as we continue on our series on faith in exiles or faith for exiles. Um, This has been a really popular series because it's scratching an itch. That whole question that so many of us have around uh, what you believe and what you deeply value and know to be true, and yet this conflict of what is happening in the world, and yet knowing deep down in the bottom of our souls is that this story of a God who is alive and who is well and who is passionately in pursuit for us and for this world is actually stirring something distinct for this era. He never, ever lets the darkness take over. It's just who he is. The light always comes into the darkness. The darkness cannot overcome it. And so this series is unpacking um, decent amounts of research that has been done in regards to 18 and 35-year-old age bracket particularly, of which there has been a big exodus from the church. I'm not going to take you through the stats, which um, Mark has gone through every single week, Um, but essentially just think 70%, 8%, 70% of 18 to 35-year-olds that have grown up within a church community, exposed to his teaching, who he is, um, being shaped by his people, have actually left church. And 8% that have grown up uh, live in what is called a resilient disciple. In other words, how they live matches what they believe. It's so easy to believe something. I believe it's really important to go to the gym. (laughs) It is another thing to have that belief transform how you live. And so it's my privilege this morning um, to dig deeper into this. Uh, This is number four of five. I'm going to end it next week with countercultural mission, which I'm very much looking forward to. Um, But this is actually a topic I've been wanting to speak on for a long time, and eventually I'd love to do a whole series on this. And what we're looking at today is vocational discipleship. We have looked at the first point that was discovered in the research, that resilient disciples are first and foremost shaped by an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Not belief in Jesus Christ, not knowledge of the Bible, but an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. The second week, we looked at the importance of cultural discernment, actually understanding the world in which we live and how it goes counter to biblical wisdom what it is that God says and how it is he's created life to be. And last week we looked at meaningful relationships. So if you haven't um, been part of this series, um, this is your first one, or you haven't heard the last three, please, please, please do not listen to this one in isolation. It very much stems from the past two, particularly intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Without that one, none of the others will stand. Without that one, we're just moving the pieces around, but the core issue is still at its depth. And so this morning, I get to focus on this. As I said, it deserves a series in itself. I can only skim the surface. So there is a book out there just for today, um, which is excellent. Has anyone come across this, Every Good Endeavour by Timothy Keller? This is brilliant. Um, If what I'm saying to you today starts to scratch something um, or stir something within you, please, they're 20 bucks at the bookstore. Um, Please go grab yourself one of those you can go deeper um, outside of this particular service. But as we look at training for vocational discipleship, this is a really important topic that I've been passionate about for some time. And what Tim Keller actually says is that discipleship without the workplace is failed discipleship. 
Because discipleship is you following who Jesus is and his heart and his way in the world. The rabbis, the Jewish rabbis, would say that if you read the Torah in the morning, which is the Hebrew scriptures, then you go to work all day, and then you read the Torah in the evening, you've actually read the Torah all day. Because it's actually our lived out expression of who we know God is and what his heart is for the world that is actually the essence, is the heartbeat to all of this stuff that he's on about and so passionate about. And so in looking at this, I'm wondering how much of you has considered, and there's going to be a spectrum, how much your faith affects your work. There's going to be some of you that have thought about this in depth. There's going to be some of you that actually haven't thought about it at all. But the heartbeat behind what I want to do today is to get your faith and the context in which you work and combine them together. That they are not separate things, whether you're a teacher, whether you're in aid, whether you write policies, whether you research diabetes, whether you are a mother. Your vocation and the work that God has put before you at the moment is integral to the outworking of what he's got for you but also how he wants to work through you. This is um, not so much an outspoken, I'm sharing the gospel at work talk. That is very important. That is an evangelism talk. What I'm wanting to hit here is how the gospel of God's redemption in and through the world is shaping how you do your art, how you do your business, how your manner is at work, what your ethics are, how you do media, how you do scholarship, how you teach, how you educate, how is your understanding of the gospel, and by that I don't mean Jesus died, rose again, now I get to go to heaven. That's what his death achieved. The gospel is the good news of what the death achieved as he brings renewal to creation. So as we look at vocational discipleship, uh, that's what I'm wanting to look at. In the actual book that um, Mark Matlock and um, Dave Kinnaman wrote, the actual chapter is called To Ground and Motivate an Ambitious Generation for Vocational Discipleship. When they unpacked the research, this is what uh, they uh, detailed. Vocational discipleship means knowing and living God's calling, especially in the area of work, and right-sizing our ambitions to God's purposes. I cannot think of a more erudite, succinct, brilliant combination of words when it comes to the topic of vocational discipleship. Vocation comes from the Latin vocare, which means to call. To call. That there is a voice that is calling you. There is a voice within your own self that calls you and there is a voice called the Holy Spirit that is outside calling you to something. Vocation isn't always the work you're doing. Vocation is more than your work. The Puritans say that we have got three vocations in our life and they're in this order. Number one, your primary vocation is to have intimate relationship with Jesus Christ the King. Number one. Number two is a common vocation And it's the same vocation that every single one of us is invited to, no matter what era we live. Common call, no matter what era you're in or what context you're in, to love your neighbour, to not let pride take over, to be generous. Those common things that the Lord has designed life to be is also our vocation. And finally, 
It is a sense of particularity where there's something specific God has got for you. There are those in this room called, called, outside voice calling you to be a teacher and you just love teaching. There are some people who here who are called to be a stay-at-home mum and that is their contribution in the kingdom of God on this earth to raise healthy children. That is a call. There are some people here called to be in ministry. There are some people here who are called to be in politics. There are some here who are called to work at Bunnings. I know. I'm amazed by our ambitious generation, how every single one of them is going to be a world changer and either be on the stage or write books or write lots of music, but no one's called to work at Bunnings. There are some people who are called for common use. And without that common use, this world does not go round. And so this whole heartbeat of right size in your ambition is clear, is so important to this whole topic um, of vocation and vocation, vocational discipleship. I'm going to get you to turn to your Bibles and I'm going to get you to go right to Genesis 1 verse 1. I know, right to the beginning. If you don't have a Bible, we have them underneath. And just look for the first page that has writing on it as in the slab of writing, not the title page. And I want to just quickly look at this passage. Now, Tim Mackey, who's part of the Bible Project, he's a great theologian. I just listened to a talk of his this week that spent an hour on this one verse. I know, this is how rich this verse is. I'm just going to spend 20 seconds. Are you ready? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, that we have this God here that is above nothing. There is nothing yet, and he is hovering over it, and you can feel that there is this pregnancy before creation is born. It's something of great possibility and great momentum is about to occur. And from there, we have a series of passages, and then God said, let there be light, and God said, let us separate the water from the land, so on and so forth. If we Fast forward to chapter 2, verse 2 to 3. After he's done all this creative endeavor, it was a black, blank canvas. He then finishes everything. He's created even man. And he says, By the seventh day, God had finished what? The, the work he had been doing. God works. God works. This is pre-fall. How could it be that work is in the Bible so early on? So on the seventh day, he rested from all his what? Very quiet this morning. Work. <laughs> and then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from what? Work. Of creating that he had done three times in those two verses. We have this introduction to this word, Work. This word work is mentioned over a thousand times in the Hebrew scriptures. It means to worship, it means to serve, and it means to work. It means to create something out of nothing. It means to mean that something can happen that couldn't happen before because someone's hands got dirty. Sky Jathani, who's done a lot of work in this, says that when it comes to the created order and God's heart for work, when it comes to the pre-fall work, God's heart is that we create beauty, that we create abundance, and that we create order. And that any of the work that he has got for us will fall under one of those three things. Beauty, abundance, or order. 
If we then fast forward um, onwards to verse 15 in chapter two, we then have the Lord God took the man and put him in the Eden, the Garden of Eden to what? Thank you. To work it and take care of it. That he creates, and in his creation he creates us. And the reason why humanity is the pinnacle of his created order is that we are made in his image and that image is to also create and participate with him in a co-mission to actually fill the earth, to subdue it, to create it to be something that it's not yet. We often think of Eden as perfect, which it was, but a proper understanding of what Eden was is that the conditions were perfect, but it wasn't yet complete. The canvas was ready and everything was ready to go. We didn't yet have cities. We didn't yet have midwives. We didn't yet have mothers. We didn't yet have all of humanity in its variety for us to build and create and be culture makers from the raw data of what we were given. And so God gets us to work. This means, this is pre-Genesis 3, which if you're familiar with that passage, something terrible happens. But pre-Genesis 3, we have this gift that the animals won't do it, the rabbits won't do it, my cat won't do it, your horse won't do it, the giraffes, as beautiful and weird looking as they are, can't do it, that we are the only created being designed to create culture and make something of the hard matter that God has designed on this earth. This is a gift. We are to work six days, rest one. It's not the other way around. And psychologists talk about the importance of work to our understanding of humanity and well-being. Tim Keller says that work is part of the blessedness of the garden of God. Work is as much a basic human need as food, beauty, rest, excuse the typos there, friendships, prayer, and sexuality. It is not simply medicine, but it is food for our soul. That there is something greater going on when you put your hands to something when you get your fingers dirty, when you get up and out and you help create culture, whether it's in the home, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's as an anthropologist, of which we have some in this um, congregation. We are all culture creators. And we know that although this is pre-fall, something else happens in Genesis 3. If you're not familiar with that passage, I'll get you to read that um, later on. And we have, whoa, curse. Work can be a curse. I don't know what your work situation is at the moment. It could be a blend, it often is. I don't know if it feels like more gift and joy or more toil and labor and hard going. We have this situation where God's created order is turned inside out, back to front and distorted. John Stackhouse says this, I don't know what's going on with this, but I'm just gonna be gentle and not driven. Thorns and thistles are everywhere. Resisting and retarding our efforts, indeed, every task, every job, every profession or trade, even every effort at leisure has a certain irreducible quotient of what we might sum up as crap. <laughs> Emphasis his, which can I just say footnote, I love it how he says irreducible quotient, which I don't even know what that means, and then he says crap. <laughs> like, the issue of crap is common to every man, whether you're academic or not so much. Crap, we all relate to that. Absurdity, waste, vulnerability, uncertainty, disappointment, frustration, almost everything is harder than it should be. Oh my goodness, if I had a dollar every time I've said that. Some work is truly alienating, 
turning screws on an assembly line or stitching endless piecework in a sweatshop is, a demand, is, is demanding and the very definition of unfulfilling. I'm not sure what your work situation is at the moment. There'll be people here in wilderness with their work. There'll be people here in tremendous frustration. There'll be people here who are tasting the gift and the joy of working in partnership with what it is God's got for them to do. There'll be people here where it's a blend. For me, it's a blend. But regardless, what we have here is this incredible understanding that the creator who creates us in his image says to you, come and commission with me. Join me on my mission to do something with this world. In setting this up, I, I cannot touch this topic without speaking about something that has shaped our worldview. Um, and in diagnosing this, we, it's really important we get this because what I'm about to share with you has so shaped our thinking we are unaware of its influence. And that is this whole concept of the sacred and the secular. Hands up if you've heard anything about this before, just so I've got a gauge. Um, if you haven't heard the terms, you'll be familiar with the concept. The sacred stuff is stuff that is highly spiritual and means we think it is the most important. That is Bible reading, that is going to a service on Sunday, that is um, praying, that is um, interceding, that is fasting, that is coming to kingdom come, that is coming to your small group and actually turning up, that is um, a whole variety of things that we would put in a sacred sphere because that's where God is. He's there, he's there. The secular are all the things where God isn't, like he likes it, but he's not, like it's not his priority. Entertainment, hobbies, socialising, going to the cafe, all the life stuff out there. Yep, it's part of life, but more than we'd like to admit, we don't think it's as important as the sacred. I wonder where that is for you, how that affects you. And so often when you hear people say, oh, people aren't turning up to church, and even in the research, people aren't coming to church anymore. My grief about that isn't that they're not coming to church, it's not that they're not coming to a church service, which could easily be the value. It's we're not engaging together so we can go out and be the church during the week. We're not being reminded of who we are so that we can reset our perspective and realign us to go and be God's people in a world that doesn't yet know what we know. And so this stems from Hellenistic thought, which says the material world is bad, the spiritual world is good. Another term you might hear out there is dualism, and that means that, yep, God exists, but he's removed from his creation. So physical matter doesn't matter, only the spiritual matters. And that has shaped our Christian formation more than we would like to admit. And it means that we think ministry work is potentially more sacred to God than someone who's building houses for people to live in. That ministry work or work for the spiritual world, if you're a missionary or you're a pastor or you're one of those sacred things, is nowhere near as important as being a mother who pours her, pours her heart and soul into the development of her children or to a teacher who's writing curriculum that is gonna shape the worldview of children and how they see. I cannot emphasize with you enough how much the enemy has run rings around that lie. Is an absolute lie. And there is nothing within me that thinks, just because I've got a weird microphone, that I'm more sacred than what it is you're doing this week. In fact, I didn't even want this job. I wanted to be a corporate in like high heels and a briefcase, Berg Street. <laughs> Apparently it's not what's cracked up to be, but 
Something within me still wants to. I have a friend who has the same name as me and she has the same personality as me. She, she is also Sarah. She's also an ENTJ on the, in the Myers-Briggs and she wanted to be in ministry and she's in the corporate world. And I want to be in the corporate world and I'm in ministry, but do you know what? It's completely irrelevant. It's about the calling of that voice that is saying something to you that this is what I have made you for. This is your contribution in the world. And so you have the sacred here and you have the sec secular here, but it limits our understanding, our expression of faith, and it also limits the gospel that says the gospel's only in the sacred world, as opposed to, no, 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 the gospel, which is the renewal of all things, is all over the earth. And the heartbeat and the passion of God, which is determined to bring light into every crevice of darkness, is passionately bringing that light into that place. Let's not have a limited gospel. Jesus, man, 132 public appearances he had in his gospels. 122 of them were in the marketplace. Not in the synagogue, in the marketplace. He spoke 52 parables and 45 of them were in a framework of work and vocation. Is work important to God? Yes. Is your vocation important to God? Yes. Does it just have to be what we would classify sacred? No way. If we were to do that, the enemy's gonna win the battle for the world because we're all withdrawn and hidden in pulpits. Is this what this is called, a pulpit? I think so. So as I set this up, a thorough and accurate understanding of God's heart and his message throughout the scriptures is that our work drastically matters to God. It is so, so important to him. In Faith for Exiles, Dave Kinnaman and Mark say this, secular work is as valuable and God-honoring as Christian ministry, amen. In fact, I look up to you guys because I get to work with Christians and you've got to go out there. When we use our gifts in work, whether we're making clothes, building machines or software, practicing law, tilling fields, mending broken bodies or nurturing children, we are answering God's call to serve the human community. Our work then, is what, our work then whatever it is, matters greatly to God. And so not only does our work matter to God, but God definitely matters to our work. N.T. Wright calls it, it's like an angled mirror, that if you're in another room, which we are because we're in the here but not yet, fulfillment of the fulfillment of the world, where we're still in brokenness but we've still got hope. He says it's like an angled mirror where we're in this room but we can see God in his room and God's in his room but he can see us and we can reflect each other back to the world. I get to reflect God to you by being who I am doing what I do and you get to reflect God to me by being who you are and what you do and we get to take that to a world that is desperate to see image bearers of the king. That are riddled with depression, anxiety and hopelessness and addictions because they don't have that encounter. And so we don't have a sacred-secular divide, no. Although it's broken, the heartbeat of you this week as you go out from here is to actually be that reflection of God to the world and that reflection to God of the people. It's like you're the conduit that is helping to reconcile those two things. The Jews have a word called kavana, say it. I thought you were gonna say nirvana. That's how I remember the word. It's not Nirvana, it's Kavana. 
is one of the most beautiful words I've heard in its meaning. And what it is, is that at the fall of mankind, Genesis 3, the glory of God was shattered into thousands and billions of little pieces. But every time you and I, kavana means to have intent, to do something with purpose and heart. Every time you and I do something with kavana, we're actually restoring the glory of God back to the material world. There is something in it when someone gets you a cup of tea with kavana. There is something in it when someone at Bunnings greets you because they have to, or they greet you with kavana. In your workplace, you can approach it with just a practical task and get it done, or you can pour kavana. You can actually use your heartbeat and your intent to channel God's glory back into the world. That's my setup. I can give you some ideas, but it's best to hear from people within the ranks. So we've got a panel, hands together please, for four of our people. We have got Lionel Lim, Chris Cameron, Ryan Deeth, and Lee Jones. I was telling the team this week um, that we're going to do a panel and these are the people that are going to be in the AM and it was rightly, look at the Kavana in that, that's awesome. Um, it was rightly pointed out, Sarah, they're all men. Um, they are. Um, I think it goes without saying I'm okay with women speaking and stuff, right? So this was not an intentional, politically correct thing. This was just the people who came to mind as I thought about the fields that I'd like to unpack, okay. Um, so men, <laughs> welcome here. Uh, Lionel is in the medicine science field. He's, a, he's an oncologist, so I've got him here for the science space. Uh, I forgot your name for a second. <laughs> Lee, beautiful Lee, he's an entrepreneur. Um, Chris is in arts and creative. And, so important, uh, we've got Ryan here representing the trades world. Now, as we hear from them, know that the commonality is that they're image bearers of the glory and the love of God, who has so much love for the world, God puts us in different places, right? Um, what they do is secondary to that, but what I wanted to do this morning is just unpack, I guess, um, some of the things that um, I've just set the space for, and look at what that looks like on the ground. Um, do we have microphones for our guys? Oh, you're going to share, okay. You can have this if you want. So Lee, you are, you've had a really diverse background. You're an entrepreneur, which means you've been in marketing, you've been in IT, you've even done stuff in politics, um, different industry spaces, consulting, aged care, construction, so on and so forth. With so many contexts, what is the one thing that unites those different expressions that means you... Yeah, what is the commonality in all that variety that is Lee and how God uses Lee? Um, yeah, interesting. What's common amongst those things? Uh, not a lot uh, in some ways. <laughs> uh, and I think part of the, the journey that the Lord's taken me on is, is through a wide series of different experiences. And um, each experience has been a step on, on the way to um, the, the next thing, uh, building up a set of skills, capabilities, and, uh, and, and breadth. Um, uh, the one thing that, um, that seems to be uh, true is that it, that's, that's merged into a scenario where um, I, I found that sort of, um, I guess, that Terry Walling uh, one thing. Um, 
having gone through a transition in the last couple of years, uh, it's led me to a place where I, I now have a sort of uh, an assurance of, of how that articulates the purpose with which I deploy that set of skills. Mm. Um, what would you say uh, that purpose is? Uh, that purpose, in, in simple terms, is um, I guess it's been a right-sizing of my own ambitions over the years. So, of course, I did see myself being an entrepreneurial-minded kind of guy running my own $100 million business. Uh, I, I could see myself quite doing that quite happily um, <laughs> uh, and uh, thought I was kind of smart enough to do it. Um, uh, and yet, what I found is that the Lord is calling me to actually work in the service of others. Mm -hmm. uh, and right now, the expression of that is uh, working with... Um, uh, Christian business leaders predominantly um, who started a business with a with their own vision and purpose in mind but have actually got lost in the complexities of running businesses um, uh, so businesses are, uh, uh, it's people uh, it's logistics uh, it's it's the technical delivery it's everything um, and it's so easy to get bogged down because as you mentioned before nothing is ever as easy as it should be um, so what I do is I go in and basically get things running smoothly so, so that, that leader can focus on the thing that they were called to do. Mm. So my gifting is in how to unstick things, how to get things running well, mm. uh, and then releasing people into uh, the fullness of, of the thing that they were called into originally. Wow. So in the rubric of beauty, order, and abundance, what would entrepreneurial contribution help feed? Um, I, I guess order is the one that comes to mind. Um, as in, if you can get things well ordered and running well, the distraction level of that reduces and the ability to focus on the higher purpose emerges. Mm. Can you please tell us your age? <laughs> if you can tell me my name. Lee. <laughs> Touche. Touche. Fair call. Fair call. Lee Jones. <laughs> Married to Yvette Jones. <laughs> 52. 52. You know, it is so crucial what um, Lee Jones just said. <laughs> when he said he went from an ambitious standpoint to a whole variety of things that he engaged in, and yet recently he's had that crystallisation that he's actually in it to serve others. Um, 50. It's an art, not a science, tends to be the vocational penny drop when all of your past points to this one thing. So for 18 to 35 year olds in our midst, it's not if I haven't got it by 25, I've missed out. No, 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 no. Everything is in preparation so that the lessons and the learnings that you get can give, bring to your contribution. So thank you, Lee. Um, Kavana, I didn't tell you guys about this, but where do you see Kavana in your workplace or through your work? Um, yeah, I, th I think it's, um, Kavana is the moment when you have to have a really difficult conversation. Mm. And uh, I think one of the things I've observed it, is true is this, you can have the same conversation with the same words, uh, and if you, if you have that conversation without having just waited on the Lord and just got his wisdom in it, uh, and his words, uh, how he would want to start the conversation, that conversation can land really badly. Mm. Uh, it can be very fleshy, very mm. uncomfortable. Mm. You approach the same conversation, waiting on the Lord and getting his blessing and his insight into what's going on, how to approach that conversation, how to execute on it. Uh, great things can come forward. When that happens, that's Kavana.
Yeah. It's Nirvana as well, but it's Kavana. <laughs> it's Nirvana um, Kavana. And I've noticed that's a definitive thing. It's, um, it's that thing of, it's not me leading. I want to be a channel for the Holy Spirit, and I can only do that if I pause, wait, and listen. Mm. If I, traditionally, I've been a sort of boots and all kind of guy, mm. um, and that's not always landed well. Mm. Uh, but going in um, with uh, the Lord's leading, it's completely different. Mm. Good. And that's Cabana. Thank you. Ryan, purely because you've got the microphone. Carpenter, third year apprentice, Carpenter. Yeah. Talk to me about Cavana in your workplace. Uh, I'm going to actually have to have a refresher on the word Cavana, please. So Cavana, <laughs> who's looking after his two children as a father, which is also part of his vocation. Cavana um, is where um, at the fall, the glory of God was split into millions of pieces. This is a a, not a biblical teaching. The rabbis use this as a bigger story. Um, and so kavana is when with holy intent and purpose, we pour ourselves into something and in doing so, we, re- we restore the glory back to physical matter. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's really hard to kind of find a certain spot because for me, it's kind of all, all linked. So, because um, I'm only a third year carpenter apprentice, I've only, you know, it's two and a half years since I've been in this industry. Um, and what my primary kind of focus is, I, I love people, I'm passionate about people. And so for me, it's, I know Kavana is um, each individual step of relating to people, getting to know them, to then be able to share a bit about who I am and how God has kind of impacted my life. So it's everything from just, um, you know, in some ways, in my context, recognising that the trade industry is very, very broad, um, it's, it's taking a bit of heat for my faith and it's kind of seeing if you can kind of handle it and then, it's, and then it's kind of slowly hearing about church and then it's allowing, you know, them allowing me to start asking them questions about who they are and how they're wired and their experience of God and everything in between is kind of, for me, slowly restoring um, kind of the, the um, image of God back in them as such and seeing kind of that wholeness happen and... I don't get this, and it's really, I have to see it in that kind of perspective because at this point, I'm kind of no one's in my industry, people I work with have kind of said, yeah, Jesus sounds like a really good idea. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of slowly, it's just kind of that slow mm-hmm. um, burn as such. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And, and the reason why I invited Ryan up is not just because he's a carpenter and Jesus was, um, <laughs> which he, he, he was. Um, and everyone loves to say that, Christian, non-Christian, doesn't matter. I know, you can't hear it enough. Oh, but it was true, carpenter. right? So there's something in it. Um, it's actually because Ryan doesn't feel called to be a carpenter, but what he does feel called to is actually share Jesus with people. And so he happens to be in that industry to do something else, which is to actually share Jesus with people. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that journey? Yeah, yeah. So I'll quickly <laughs> sum up my life story. <laughs> no, I guess um, until like a few years ago, I actually thought I was called to full-time church ministry. Mm-hmm. Like that was everything kind of um, in, the, in, that was kind of my whole formation and the way I was kind of leaning towards. And then um, for a variety of reasons, which I don't think are kind of relevant to now, I um, ended up being out of the industry, out of, um, you know, Christian work as such and needed something else to do, had an opportunity to do carpentry, and so jumped in. And so I guess for me, the big, the big shift was I always felt called to helping Christians become better Christians and, and help disciple people. And then in the kind of the first few months, all of a sudden something started to really shift where I'd be at church on a Sunday morning and worshipping, and then I'd start having the images of the guys I work with. Mm. And all of a sudden I was like, wow, this is different. Like I didn't have that heart for... Um, 
more people knowing about Jesus and until kind of I was in the industry, which was a really bizarre um, kind of kind of place to be in. And and so I think in in God's grace, it's been it's been great because He continues to do a lot of internal work, which is kind of me renewing my desire for Jesus and His kingdom, both in my life um, and kind of essentially, you know, a lot of it's been been humbling and recognizing that. Um, it's all God. It's not me. It's all God. But then simultaneously being able to then be his light in my workplace. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm a pretty, I, I don't mind a bit of conflict and a bit of drama. So I actually really, I actually really enjoy the heat at work. And sometimes the hostility, which the, um, which the context can be. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, also just looking out for people that are up for having a conversation. Mm-hmm. And so it's, like I said, it's an incredibly diverse diverse situation where I can have people at lunch just grilling me about with questions and then next minute um, there can be like a pop song that will mention heaven and then it's like, well, let's have a conversation about that and mm. it's open. Mm. And so I, um, I really enjoy that ride. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about the culture of your workplace because it's yeah. pretty rough. Well, it is, it is rough and, um, and I kind of feel like they're my people now so I like to defend <laughs> them. Because I guess in some ways, the same way that I have grown up in, in um, a Christian family, in a, in a Christian world, in a lot of Christian contexts, my worldview, the people and the, and, and the Bible have all shaped my life in the same way, um, the people in the trade industry all have their own story, all have their own worldview, which has got them to this point. Things like, obviously, things like media, things like the people they're around. And for a lot of the guys I work with, a lot of them dropped out of school. And so they've been in this male-dominated environment for upwards of 10 years, and so they don't have a much broader perspective of, um, of I guess, of, of life as such. And, um, and so that means that I feel like it's really a big part of my role is to have grace for the people that I work with, that their story is their story. And if some of these guys have never heard anything about God, or all they care about is things like the Royal Commission into child sex abuse, and they mm. just want to, you know, and they just want to talk about that and tell me how angry they are at, at priests and stuff. And so... Yeah, it's a, I feel like I've got to have grace for them because their story is their story. And then I'm just, for me, a lot of, a lot of the, the prayers I do are just, God, show me, show me your power. Show me what you can do in people's lives. Because it, it's pretty hard and I'm constantly, I'm constantly needing God in order to see how, he, how the image of God is in this person or in this person or in this person. Yeah, that's great. And that's that true angled mirror where you get to reflect God to these guys, but you actually get their heart and you reflect it back to God and you get to be that conduit, which is great. I don't know if you've picked it up, but what is a clear vocation, I'm going to speak this over you, is Ryan's an evangelist. So that's why he's like, I don't care what the context is, I just need to tell people about Jesus, <laughs> who happens to be in this context for now and it's a deeply shaping time. It must be satisfying building things though. Uh, it is, it is. And like I touched a drill twice, probably three times before I started my apprenticeship, knew yeah. nothing. Um, and so it's, I do, I love the challenge of it. I love learning new things and it is satisfying. Um, and so, yeah, it, yeah, I really, I do enjoy it. Yeah. That's great. We're going to take a microphone to Lionel here. Has, hands up if you've met Lionel. 
Everyone needs to meet Lionel. <laughs> he's not only great on the piano, he's an excellent human being, um, a really godly person. And um, the beautiful thing about Lionel is he's an oncologist. Um, if you don't know what that is, that's not just being a doctor, but that's being a doctor of cancer. And so his everyday reality is one of pain and suffering, um, but also hope as well. And so I wanted to get Lionel up here to represent the science spectrum mm -hmm. of the world. And so in doing so, tell me, it's a common question, and particularly millennials have this as well, but faith and science, how do we reconcile this mystery? <laughs> he's smart. He's an oncologist, right. so surely he's got the answers. I actually don't, I actually don't think it's that hard to, to reconcile. I mean, I, I think any of us who've studied medicine and sort of marvelled at how the body works, um, you know, just on an anatomical and functional level, you know, I mean, everything about it to me points, points to a creator, but taking that a step beyond that into the molecular level, when you look at cells and how cells work and how the apparatus with them, I mean, you, you did that sort of, you know, that plant sort of cell yes, when you yes. talked about seeds and things yes. like that. Um, well, you know, in the human body, from a cellular level, there are these molecular pathways and signals of incredible complexity that, to me, just points to, to a god every single day when you sort of study those things. I guess in the area of work that I <coughs> work in, particularly in cancer, I always, I always see cancer almost as an analogy of, of sin. Because if you think about wow. what creation is in wow. terms of what we are and how things are functioning, um, you know, in perfect order, what's, what's a cancer? Cancer is a, a, it's a genetic accident or a mistake mm. that is not dealt with mm. and it's allowed to propagate. And what are the results of it? It starts to invade, destroy, become out of control. And eventually, if it's not dealt with, you, you die from it. It's all-consuming. So isn't that wow. the same, very similar sort of analogy, that sort of battle that, that we have in life, really, isn't it? Sort of struggling you know, with your faith and being a Christian, but also dealing with sin um, <clears throat> on a creation sort of level. I think wow. that's, I see faith in that. So would you hmm. say sin is the cancer of the world? Uh, well, it, is be, it does behave like a cancer, doesn't it? I mean, if it's not dealt with. I mean, the thing is, what, what are the treatments for cancer? You know, chemotherapy and treatment. You know, a lot of those treatments involve suffering too, but once it's dealt with, you know, you can cure cancer. It is, it is know, possible. But it, it is possible. Yeah. It is possible. And um, I think if it's not dealt with, then the consequences are, are death, isn't it, yeah. ultimately? Yeah. Hmm. So what was it, if, if vocation is to call, there's a voice that calls us to something, whether it's internal or external, and mm. in our case as Christians it would be both, what was it that called you into medicine? What was that story? I think, look, I think most people who sort of work in health sciences or, or medicine have an innate desire to help people in need and certainly in the area that I work in there's a, there's a lot of suffering and you know certainly the journey when you're diagnosed with cancer sometimes you know that, that heads down a path of you know your life ending is, is horrible and so it's a really painful um, journey that involves lots of pain and so I, I guess you know I I feel a need to, to serve them and to help them through through that journey which is not it's a very difficult path oh, it's a God. path that most of us probably no. don't really, you, know, you wouldn't really sort of know what that feels like no. unless you've experienced it. Yeah, yeah. and then, I mean, obviously cancer <coughs> being so common, um, <coughs> there wouldn't be anyone in this room that hasn't been touched by it by some way. Those stories mm. are horrible, they're awful. And yet that's your everyday work reality over and over and over again. Mm. <coughs> Particularly the death and dying space, a lot of palliative care, helping mm. people die well. Talk to me, if I dare ask, 
Where is Kavana in, in that. that space? Yeah, look, it is hard. And it's one of the things that I've struggled with um, sometimes. You know, when you reach a certain age and you've had a full life and you die from cancer, I mean, it's sad, but there is a certain peace that comes with that. You know, when you're a mother of, in your 30s, you've got young kids, you are dying of cancer. You've only got a few months left. You're having fifth-line chemotherapy because you're just wanting to live that little bit longer to see your daughter go to school for the first time or you're recording videos to be played when your child is 18, 21 because of things that you want to say. I mean, these are real things that happen and you look terrible, you're sort of a liver failure, and, you know, sort of dying. Those things are very real and it's very, ev everything about that feels wrong. And... Um, it's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. It, it, it just, you know, there's not, it's hard to see God in that. Um, but I think ultimately the fact that you, you still believe in God is actually a greater testament of your faith. Yeah. Um, you know, because God didn't say life is just going to be cushy right up till the end. I think it's despite all those things, um, your belief, you know, because your belief in God stands, that, that's actually a very strong, even stronger sort of faith statement of steadfastness, steadfastness and faithfulness. Mm. Um, there have been times where, uh, you know, sometimes you're sort of open to discussions on, on spirituality and, and sometimes it's a, you just sort of sense that someone's open and then you'll, you'll just ask, you know, you know, are you a person of faith? And sometimes that opens up um, incredible sort of discussions on faith. And I'm, I've had people who've, you know, have, um, you know, stopped believing in God, but then, you know, a few days before they're dying, someone appears at their, you know, their bedside in the middle of the night or their, their mother who's departed, telling them to just, you know, sort of go back to God and things like that. So, you know, th those things are pretty amazing. But I guess um, <clears throat> you, you can't, you know, it's not some, it's not, appropriate to sort of be too preachy about it at that time but no. um, th there are there are moments where that's happened yeah. so yeah. and uh, that raises a good point because I, I, I want to reiterate it for us that there's evangelism in the workplace and then there's vocational discipleship and the difference is how does your faith inform how you go about your work and I can imagine in such a crazy unique setting as that you being a person of peace and um, just carrying the presence you carry, that is actually God's hands and feet <laughs> in untenable circumstances that, yeah, I want to encourage you to underestimate your influence by being who you are outside of whether or not the chemotherapy is working. That there's something about presence that we mm. carry in that. But you told me, mm. um, and I have to have Lionel over for dinner because I have to find out more, um, Cancer's a really, ex apart from the suffering, an exciting mm. field. Oh, Tell us something. What is happening in this world of the molecular? Oh, I mean, it's a, well, it's, you know, firstly, not all cancer. Cancer is not the one disease. So for every body, every, every sort of organ and different cell type in your body, there's a cancer for that, and they're all different diseases. That's why when people say, you know, is there a cure for cancer? You're just not talking about the one thing. Um, but there's, you know, there's a lot of breakthroughs happening. I mean, you know, uh, immunotherapy and the, the way we sort of understand how molecular pathways work, we've got drugs now that actually go into cells to switch off one gene that switches off that cancer. So the fact that that even happens Thank God for is, you know, incredible. So wow. that, I mean, that space is very rapidly changing all the time. Yeah, mm. wow. Well, thank you. It's exciting. Thank you for what you do in that. Um, Chris Cameron. Yeah. Man with a beard. 
Um, you are not in any of these fields. Um, so Chris is in sort of the eights, the, the eights, the arts and creative space. He has like over 30 students. He's in over six bands. He's done his masters in drumming, percussion, um, and you only need to see Chris on the drums to see Kavana. Does anyone know what I mean? If Chris is on the drums, not, and, and he's very sensitive about this because he doesn't want to take people's attention from God, so that's a given, but God comes through you in your music. It's like what your, your music and what you're called to and why you're on earth is one thing. It's quite incredible. Talk to us about your passion in the arts and creative world. Yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> I, I haven't really done anything else. I think post high school and study, it was straight into studying music and kind of pursuing that further. Um, and I'm passionate about the drums, uh, but music in general um, and creating new things in that space. Um, and holding space with music. Um, I was thinking about this earlier. Um, I, I wear lots of different hats in all these different creative things that I do. Um, one night I'm in a jazz club, you know, doing that, and another night I might be playing heavy metal at some kind of pub or whatever, um, and then, you know, in six hours I'm here at 8 a.m. for <laughs> the worship, re worship rehearsal. Um, but what, what music does, um, it's, it's kind of, it, it holds a space and there's something community about it in all those things where like people come together around music um, and there's a connection around music when you're playing it with other people uh, and when you're sharing the music with other people or it's kind of a connected thing with those listening and those performing as well mm. um, and that leads itself to some really special moments in both the uh, I guess even in the secular music world, as well as in, you know, when I'm able to use my skills in, in this worship context as well. Mm. Um, so performing is, you know, it's exciting, it's always moving, um, and I'm passionate about developing my craft to the highest ability such that I'm then in the moment during performance to be able to express whatever I feel needs to happen musically in wow. that moment. Yeah. Wow. Fun fact, um, when Israel went into exile, so let's go back into Kings, 1 Kings, um, when they went into exile, there was 10,000 people that Babylon took first from Israel and they were specifically chosen. <clears throat> and the people that made up the first deportees were the arts, the artists and the creatives. Why is that? Why, what is it about art and creativity, even particularly in that context, that meant that another culture and another empire wanted those people first? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure, but there's something in, I think, an artist's ability to um, help people process the meaning for life and things. Like, I'm not Lionel um, in, in the doctor space or running a business or, or you know, being a chippy, um, but uh, when we create music in those spaces, people who are in those fields get to turn off from what those things are doing and kind of get, um, I guess, a chance to reflect or consider, you know, meaning and things like that mm. through the arts mm. and reason for why they might be doing things. I guess arts is like a portal to considering deeper meaning uh, for things. Mm. Um, so if, I guess if you remove that um, from one culture, um, that's going to adversely affect that, but it's going to enrich the other one um, in, in terms of that creative thinking uh, and ability of holding space for people to consider meaning for life. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's great. Thank you. There's something that awakens us through the arts and the creative that we can all relate to. Um, in that world, ambition is a big part of that. You strike me as one of the humblest musicians I've met, so this is not me projecting to you at all. Um, I'm just really keen to hear your thoughts around that space. Um, ambition, pressure, drugs, sex, like all of that. Um, <laughs> Chris is often at like a rave on a Saturday night and then he's here, so just giving you context, okay. Um, so talk to me about... <laughs> we'll clarify, always at a rave later. <laughs> always at a rave. Um, talk to me about that space, because I mean, to, to be human is to be ambitious. Pride is, is a friend of all of ours, a companion of all of ours. Talk to me about that, um, and or the all-encompassing nature that's not nine till five with arts and creative, how you've juggled that, and wherever Chelsea is, can we give her a hand of applause? <laughs> because someone's parenting their children, <laughs> wherever she is out there. Um, yeah, talk to me about that space. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenge. Um, so to really pursue an artistic craft or something to a really high level, it's, um, it is all-encompassing. There's always more work to do. Um, you wear a bunch of hats because all artists really just want to be creating art or playing music or practising your instrument or your field. But the reality is um, there are very few that can just do that mm -hmm. and you need, to be able to, you need to teach or, or play things or do things to support that. So there's this battle between providing enough to make things work, but then all you really want to be doing is the creative things. So you spend as much time as you can in the creative field as you can. So that fills things up very quickly. Um, but in terms of ambition, you're driving yourself to be the best artist you can be. Um, and uh, that can, can be all-encompassing uh, because... If you do something, you want to do it well, but there's never a, you never kind of reach a level with with the arts. There's always more to press into. Mm. Um, it's, I guess I I do think of it kind of like there's, there's it's an unfinished thing. Like I hope to never have finished my arts when I die. I want to keep pushing yes. into drumming the yes. whole way through. It's like similar to the Christian faith, right? Like yes. you never finish it, yes. um, which is hard. Which is code for there will be work in heaven. Just saying. Yeah. Carry on. Yeah. For sure. Um, but managing, <laughs> managing all the bands and all these things in day-to-day -day life when there's an abundance of things going on and I'm still actually wanting to put more into honing my craft mm. is really challenging to try and find a life balance in all of that. And then uh, the phrase right-sizing ambition mm. about how much I do that. But then I also honour my role uh, as a husband, a father, um, and... The healthy balances of spiritual life, work life, and home life, and all those kind of things. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Um, to, to wrap up, I'm going to ask you all this question, but we'll start with Chris. If within that, if vocation is to the call, the call, what is the call being the Holy Spirit asking of you at the moment in your vocation? For sure. Um, uh, I think over the last six months or twelve months. Um, God has been working in me to um, stop holding on to a whole bunch of things within my career um, or my drumming space. Like, it's, I don't know where, where my drumming is going to be in a year. I just don't know where, what projects may come, what may go, and what, what's not. Um, and I resonated with Mark the other week when he was graphically, you know, ripping something from his arm, um, blood coming off it, but then, you know, removing that from our own will, but then putting it on the altar. Um, and that is something that 
I've been working through and God has been working in me. Um, so I feel like God is calling me to put all of my ambition in the drumming in my workspace, different bands I'm in, how things may or may not work out across that next phase of what I'm doing, um, giving them all to him, uh, and then being sensitive to or aware of how or letting him make the call on, on those things because his, his will for what he would have me do in this space is the best thing for, for my life. Yeah, it's beautiful. Thank you. Lionel. Um, just quite, yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, this year, look, I have to say, you know, obviously since I've come to Red, there's been this... Um, oh, look, I feel just an increased awareness of the Holy Spirit and a, a sort of spiritual awakening to many things that I never really sort of, you know, you know, the unseen enemy and all those sorts of things, which I've never been sort of very attuned to those sorts of matters in the past, but there's just been this awakening this year. And certainly in our practice, we've got, I think, one of... Um, there's two oncologists, one of whom is leaving. Uh, and my, my secretary is actually a really strong Christian. And so I really appreciate just being able to talk about, you know, church and, you know, sort of spiritual matters with her. Um, but as our practice sort of transitions on, I'm really looking forward to sort of, I guess, because I'm going to be the main sort of person there, sort of changing the practice so that we were sort of more open to those things and perhaps, um, you know. I, I I'd like to give you this book. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, just I guess just an awareness of you know taking a stand and um, uh, yeah, I, I guess sort of reflecting sort of Christ in a spiritual way in, in that sort of within our very small practice, which is not something that I've even thought about wow. in previous years. Wow! So, wow! Yeah. That's so exciting, mm. Ryan. Yeah. Um, I guess kind of like I said a few minutes ago, like for me, this whole two and a half years in, in this kind of world has all been about me and, and God and then kind of us and what happens in, in kind of the context. And so for me, as you said that, it's, it's a big question and, and the thing that came to me was um, that the real challenge from the Spirit is whether, is, is my desire to kind of know and deeply desire Jesus in everything in my workplace and all of my life stronger and my desire to kind of be um, accepted to fit into a world around me because taking that road can be pretty isolating sometimes and it's sometimes easier to just just, just roll with the day-to-day, -day, roll with the day-to-day -day instead of kind of seeing God's bigger picture for, for especially like the boys I work with. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's good. Particular. Thank you. And Lee Jones, full name. Age 52. <laughs> Age 52, <laughs> married to a vet. Yes. Um, so in answer to that, I'm going to just re uh, recount a very recent anecdote. In doing so, I may channel my inner Bjorn, um, which is I might get emotional and tear up a little bit. Good. Good. Um, Good. But, it, but because it comes from the heart. Mm. Um, so about three Wednesdays ago, um, I was about to have a very difficult conversation in the workplace um, with a, a colleague, a Christian lady, um, being a minister, uh, and the conversation was going to go along the lines of the fact that she was no longer going to have a, a role with us moving forward. Mm. Um, and um, we're starting to delicately unpack that. Um, but before the conversation started, she said, oh, look, I've got to tell you this, I've got to tell you. I woke up this morning, or the Lord had this word for me on... on, on um, Sorry for you on my mind. I have to tell you now, right now. 
said, if I wait, there's going to be all sorts of consequences. And I thought, okay. So she shared this word with me. And um, it was interesting in two ways. One is that it, in terms of the immediate conversation to be had, it actually changed the nature of that and it became a much more open uh, and, and God-centered conversation, which ended uh, as well as can be expected under the circumstances. Um, but I pondered that word, uh, and the following Saturday, uh, while I was um, mowing the lawn, the Lord revealed the meaning of that. And uh, it was basically saying, um, I hadn't, I, I, I'd been in sin basically in the workplace. Um, I've been using uh, language uh, with my team in terms of um, uh, I have this plan, I've seen this before, I have a process, this is how we do it, this is, I know it's going to succeed, this is what's going to happen. Um, and there's a sense in which those things are true, but I was missing the very vital fact that the only reason I can point back to prior success and have an assurance of future success is the Lord's favor and blessing on what I've done. And my sin was I had not given God the glory that he uh, deserves for having done those things in the past. Uh, and so um, I had to repent in front of my leadership team, all of whom are Christians, um, and, uh, and learn this one lesson, that whatever we do in the workplace, in fact, whatever we do anywhere, but particularly in the workplace, because it is so much of the best of our lives, mm. we do it for his glory. Uh, and since that, uh, that particular time, there's been an amazing release of the Lord's blessing and favor on the business. Wow. And as I was sharing with the prayer team this morning, we've gone from, um, yeah, in a sales perspective, from one inbound lead on average uh, once a week uh, to about two a day at the moment, mm. a tenfold increase in about a two weeks' space of time. Um, and um, you've got the glory and, and things will happen. Um, but that, that is something which has landed very, very deeply for me. Um, let's do it, folks. Let's give God the glory, hey? That's great. Thank you. Can we give a round of applause to... Thanks, guys. Thank you. <clears throat> There's so much in between the lines there, um, and obviously not fully representative of the wide variety of fields and vocations that are represented in this room. But the heartbeat behind that is, I hope in this session, in this service, your work has been brought back to something that's important, not inconsequential. That it's something that is part of God's design and order for you. That he has a rhyme and a reason to the context you're in right now, even if that is a wilderness space. And he always, always uses those wilderness spaces to bring us back to him being at the center. This ambition piece is really, really important, particularly if you've grown up in the last 20 to 30 years. I just, for your purposes, want to leave you with a couple of thoughts. First one, the first thing you can do for vocation to fall into its proper space is no underscore, couple of letters, highlight your highest calling. We have a problem when our third highest calling, being our particular contribution, becomes our highest calling. It's called idolatry and it always goes inside out, back to front, to how the created orders worked. So your first and highest calling is to know Christ. We've covered that before. But secondly, I'm gonna challenge you. I've challenged myself on this. Um, I have to because of my context, but you don't have to, but I'm gonna make you. Develop a theological vision for your work. By that, what do you love about your work? That reveals the image of God that's in you and the passions he's placed in you for you to help meet the kavana in that space. What do you struggle with? 
that shows us the brokenness that is in the world, where there is a separation between God's ideal and what it is um, that is our reality. What are the ethical tensions? Big one, important one, it's only going to increase with where our world is going. Where are the ways of Jesus in direct contrast with the ways that are normative in your workplace? And how do you wisely and courageously stand in those places? What can you do to release beauty through your work? Whether you're looking at data or you're drumming at a rave on a Saturday night at 3 a.m., there is beauty, kavana, that the Lord desires to usher through you in your space. And how can you resist brokenness? The gossip, the entitlement, the complaining, the so on and so forth. As we unify in that space as a church, there is no way that this city can't be impacted with the love and the glory of who God is. And finally, I want you to reframe your metrics of success. I'm gonna leave you with this thought. If Jesus, the fullness of the glory of God, lived in obscurity and worked in obscurity for 30 years, how would he do your job? How would Jesus in obscurity do your job? And behind that, he was the fullness of the glory of God. So the glory of God was in obscurity. What are we missing out around and about the glory of God that is available to us for those who have eyes to see and have ears to hear and can usher that in?